not only where the trout are going to live, but how often they're going to feed, um, what kind of bugs are going to be on the bottom, what shape and size the critters are going to be that they're going to be eating. Um, and then go into various techniques, you know, how to blind fish a dry fly and how to fish a nymph with indicator and, you know, just fish a streamer, those things that, that we have to do most of the time when we go to a river. That was Tom Rosenbauer talking about some tips he shares in his popular books. This one from Prospecting for Trout. This is episode number 63 of the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our amazing supporters on our Patreon page. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Patreon to get started today. In today's episode, I chat with Tom Rosenbauer, the host of the Orvis Fly Fishing Guide podcast and one of the most influential people in fly fishing today. We talk about the Orvis TV show series, a super series in getting uh, people started, some of his most popular books, and his biggest mentors. Tom tells us a little bit about the Orvis story and the biggest change that he sees with fly fishing. Don't miss this one as Tom shares a glimpse into the shenanigans during his college years and his favorite band. Some pretty good tunes. So, without further ado, here's Tom Rosenbauer. How's it going, Tom? Good. How are you doing? Good. Good to have you on. We, uh, man, it's, it seems like I've been talking to you for a long time. This is the cool thing about the podcasting is that, you know, you, you might not know this, but I've been listening to you for uh, quite a number of years. And even before I even had the, my own podcast in my mind, uh, I was... I was kind of listening to your, uh, you know, the the stuff you've been doing over the years. So, yeah, I just want to start off and say thanks for uh, producing the the great podcast and the content because it, it you know, pretty much inspired me to to know that I could do it myself. So it's good stuff. Well, that's cool. It's it's great to be on the other side of the microphone for a change. Yeah, that's right. I, I wanted to dig into a little bit of the <laughs> the behind the scenes with the uh, podcasting because I'm, you know, it's interesting to me to hear you know, how you, how others do it. And I know you've got uh-huh. a, a way you do your show, but, um, before we get into all that, can you talk about, you know, just a little bit about how you got into fly fishing, then how you came up to all the way into, into Orvis? Well, yeah, you know, I, my dad was a bait fisherman and, uh, we, I used to go bullhead fishing with him at night and he'd drink beer with his buddies, not too much beer. He wasn't <laughs> a big drinker, but it was a big thrill to, you know, be out past eight o'clock till after midnight catching bullheads and uh i was usually off trying to catch frogs when i was little and um but um i guess he instilled my love of the outdoors and fishing and then when i was i don't know 10 or 11 i i thought fly fishing looked cool i would i'd read about it in field and stream outdoor life and um they watched the american sportsman this is back in the 60s and 70s and um 60s actually i'm old (laughs) anyways it looked cool it looked cool and i went out i went my father had an old steel fly rod in the rafters of the garage a tubular steel from the depression i'm sure and uh i tried it and and uh it was pretty tough to use so i took my paper money and went down to western auto and spent twenty dollars on a fly rod of course my father being a child of the depression was horrified that i spent $20 on a fishing rod. Um, but, 
Yeah, and then I just, um, you know, I learned, I taught myself. It was really difficult in those days. And I, I, I just cringe at how long it took me to <laughs> figure out how to cast and tie a clinch up because, there, you know, no video. The books, the books were lousy. If you could find one in the library, they were, you know, old Ray Bergman's Trout. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, imagine picking up, I remember one book that really inspired me, but it was totally over my head was Marinaro's uh, uh, Modern Dry Fly Code. And imagine trying to start fly fishing with that book. Huh. Um, <laughs> it was crazy, yeah. but I loved it. I loved it. And, you know, I gradually got into, I got into fly tying right away and started, um, I guess I was pretty good tying flies because I started commercial tying when I was 14 or 15 for a, a guy who had a little Orvis shop kind of in his garage um, and um, started tying a lot and tied commercially through college and you know, I was always kind of a geeky kid. Everybody else was playing football and baseball, and I was riding my bicycle off to go fly fishing. Mm-hmm. And then later, when I got a driver's license, you know, it, I was uh, all over the all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and just you know, just I've always done it. And then when I I went to the forestry school in Syracuse and for college, and I was planning on going to grad school and becoming a fish biologist, and I, I I didn't have any money to go to grad school, so I um, answered a help wanted ad at Orvis for a clerk in the retail store. This was uh, forty three years ago. Wow! <laughs> and, and they they haven't been able to get rid of me. Yet. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Wow! So you so you pretty much yeah, this is a lifelong thing. You you've always been into it and coming from your dad and everything. And, and where did you initially? Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Rochester, New York. Okay, yeah, yeah, and the home, and where is the home of uh, of Orvis? Or? It's uh, in Manchester, Vermont, okay. southern Vermont. That's right, that's right. Yeah, so you're definitely, I mean, I know you've been all over the country and I guess all over the world now, but you were mo- more of an East Coaster for a while, and have you kind of stuck on the East Coast for the most part? Yeah, you know, I like to fish everywhere. I mean, I haven't been around the world. I've been a few places, yeah. but, uh, you know, I love fishing. I love I love just fishing in North America. There's so so many great opportunities, um, all you know, all over North America. And there's so many places that I haven't been to that I want to. And, mm-hmm. um, I occasionally get to go overseas. I love Cuba. I love the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Um, never been to New Zealand or Australia. Been to South America a couple times. Um, been to Christmas Island. Been to Kamchatka. But yep. you know, really, really, I concentrate on. Um, I just, you know, I just really love saltwater fishing and technical trout fishing, and there's so much good stuff here um, in North America that you don't have to go very far. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, I could probably pick your brain a little bit about it. I'm actually gearing up for uh, the next season of this of my podcast, like a destination, and you know, you kind of, I kind of think about it as the saltwater stuff and all that. But yeah, the more I think about it, the more I realize we have a ton of destination fisheries here in, in North America. And oh my God, yeah. yeah. So it's so it's a pretty cool thing. I'm pretty excited to jump into. I think I might even do like 50% kind of stuff we have where you can drive to, you know, at home and then maybe some yeah. of the other stuff because I talked to um oh gosh, Jeff uh, Courier recently and uh man, I mean 400 species I think he's caught now on the fly. Jeez. And uh, wow. He, he he talked a little bit about like African tiger fish, you know, it's like nah. 
<laughs> now there's a real world traveler for you. Exactly. I mean, he really has done it all and, yeah. and uh, chased lots of different crazy fish. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. But uh, no, this is awesome. I love the story here. So now we're bringing it into the Orvis. So like, so you, okay, you get, you get the connection with the Orvis, you get your foot in the door. How does eventually the podcast idea come to be? Uh, <laughs> well, back, uh, I think it was about 10 years ago that we had this, um, we had this guy who was, who was a social media director. Nobody, nobody knew what that was, <laughs> but Perk Perkins, our CEO thought there might be a future in this stuff. And Jamie, who's actually still producing the podcast, Jamie Hathaway, um, came to me one day and said, you know, you've written all these books and magazine articles and stuff. Why don't you do a podcast? And I said, oh, you crazy. It's a stupid idea. <laughs> how are we going to, how are we going to, you know, how are we going to translate such a visual sport into a podcast? I said, it's really dumb because <laughs> I do, I, you know, I do the how to stuff. Um, I'm not, I don't do, I don't do many stories and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So what are we going to do in a podcast? I said, just try it. So I did. And we, you know, we started, I started out kind of just talking about a particular topic, leaders or lines or whatever. And then we got the idea of having people email questions, which has become really popular. And then my wife said, well, you know, on NPR, they have these call-in questions. Why don't you have people leave you a message and call in questions? Mm -hmm. So we added that and it's been great because <laughs> I never have to think about a topic because I, I get constant interaction with my listeners through the, the calls and the emails. And, you know, they, they really just pick the topics. They say, hey, how about this? How about that? How about this? And now I've, I've mostly gone to having guests on the podcast. Uh, I haven't done one just solo in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the guests are more the guests are more fun, more interesting, and um, so how do you just how do you choose just, your guests? Ah, uh, <laughs> good question. <laughs> well, sometimes people come to me and say, "Hey, I got a podcast idea," but often I just meet somebody and I'll say, "Wow, that's an interesting person," or I'll I'll read a book review. Um, or I'll read somebody's book and I'll say, oh, that person would be a really good podcast guest. And I'll try to get hold of them, call them or, um, you know, they just come up. I, hmm. Orvis has a big network of endorsed guides all over the world. Right. Um, so I often use um, Orvis, Orvis guides um, as experts in various parts of the country. If I'm doing a geographically based podcast, I'll have a guide talk about his or her um, area and what it's like and how people could plan a trip there. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. but you know, being, being in this business for 43 years and being yeah. in Orvis that long, um, you have a pretty big network. So there, there's always somebody to, Oh, I should call that person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they're not planned more than a couple of days in advance. I'll think, Oh shit, I got to do, <laughs> can I say shit on this? Yeah. Yeah. Can I, I say I, shit on uh, your podcast. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We've had we had this conversation a few times, and I've I've come to uh, the agreement I with uh, April Voki. Uh, you know, we had some some cuss words there, and, and uh, yeah, we just basically said, you know what, it, it's whatever comes out naturally. That's the way it should be. So I, I leave it. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, nobody nobody at Orvis listens to mine, so I don't have to worry about it either. Yeah, I, I do whatever I want. Um, 
what was I what was I talking oh, about? Oh shoot, uh, I lost my train of thought. I oh, was... just kind of last minute thing. Sometimes I'll think, ah, oh, geez, I, I need to do a podcast this week, and I'll I'll email somebody and say, hey, can you do a podcast tomorrow at nine? And oh, they'll say, cool. yeah, okay. That's <laughs> so, cool. Um, I don't have them. I don't have them planned that long in advance. I do have a kind of a list of ones that I want to do eventually. Yeah. So I'll yeah. sometimes go back to that list and say. Oh, I really want to do one on redfish in South Carolina or something. Yeah. So you don't feel after all these years, I'm not even sure how many episodes you have out there, but you don't feel I don't like either. You're, you're running out of uh, ideas or topics? N- never. That's cool. Never. No, because there's just so many different fisheries and yeah. so many different personalities. You know, honestly, I could do a podcast on the basics of leaders every week right and still gets true i know (laughs) that that is the amazing thing about the podcast i mean i've been a podcast addict i mean when i was first listening to your podcast you know and all the other ones i just yeah you just listen to them over and over again i mean that's the great thing about it it's that content will be there so if you forget it you just you'll listen to it again oh my god it's evergreen i was just going i was actually just going back and looking at podcast downloads um, today I, i look at them once a month or something yeah and um, going back to the very beginning, ten years ago, there's like you know eight or nine hundred downloads of ten year old podcasts in the past month. Wow! Uh, individual individual shows eight That's or nine hundred downloads. So so yeah, it's a it's evergreen. People go back and they they go back through the archive. That's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you yeah. mentioned downloads. The uh, I was talking to uh, one of my guests in the past. Uh, word 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 on the street is that Orvis, you guys obviously you're leading the game in the podcasting realm, but I think you guys are. At least the word on the street is about fifty thousand downloads per episode. Is that uh, is that roughly? Uh, is there some truth to that? Yeah, that's pr- that's pretty accurate. Um, you know that that's after a couple months. Yeah, you know, after yeah, exactly. they've been sitting Six around for a while. Something. And I think I think Apple is actually I think Apple is actually counting them differently, or they Lipson are. is counting them differently because I'm not seeing the same quantity that I used no. to, and I need to, I need to dig in and find out well, what happened. Exactly I, what the, I actually stay in touch with lips and Rob uh, Walsh is awesome over there. And, uh, and yeah, basically what they did was, um, they're trying to get everybody on the same page and, uh, making sure they have the most accurate data. So they went through and there was some weird stuff going on. So they basically up, updated their algorithm. So, uh, so the numbers you get now, I think a lot of shows showed were showing a lot more, but it wasn't accurate. So now, yeah. so now what you're seeing is actually the solid numbers. Uh, I think okay. it started back last year. They updated everything. So, yeah, yeah. So it's better. You know, I mean, that's the thing. If you're going for sponsorships and things like that, it's it's good to know exactly your numbers or, you know, what they are. But um, yep. Yeah. yeah, cool. Well, that, yeah, we could geek out on the podcasting stuff for a while, but I want to I want to stay on the, um, you know, some of the, the questions I had as far as, you know, I guess one of the things I really want to get into here is talk about some of the beginner stuff and I've covered everything from steelhead fishing and I'm getting into destination, but I'd love to have a episode where when I have a kind of a newbie come to me and, and, you know, want to know, like, how do I get started? Like direct them to a podcast. And I'm thinking, you know, this might be a good one because you've covered everything. You've answered probably, you know, almost every question you can imagine. And, um, so does that sound good to you? And maybe make a little resource here and I have some questions for you. Yeah. Cause I do get, um, a lot of the questions I get are novice questions. And I think, I think, people gravitate toward my podcast because it's so how to and you know they're like sponges at the beginning so i I think i do get a lot of that so yeah 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 yeah. you know one of the things one of the things that you might tell your listeners well actually i'm telling them now yeah is that we did it we did a tv show uh 
number of years ago a teaching show um, strictly on how to fly fish, and it's got 13, 13 episodes, um, and it's non, very non-commercial, but mm-hmm. it's all about how to fly fish. And um, it just got put on Amazon Prime. Oh, so cool. It's called, it's called the Orvis Fly Fishing Guide. So, you know, if people are beginners and they want to learn, and people learn by videos, it's a very curated uh, collection of, uh, you know, really step-by-step uh, learning how to fly fish, everything from bass to bonefish to trout. So, Oh, perfect. perfect. Yeah, I'll leave a show uh, in the link at uh, wetflyswing.com slash 63. I'll have a, a link to that and any of the other resources we talk about today. Yeah, that'd be great. And it's free if they have Amazon Prime. So Okay, you know, okay, cool. Well, be- before we get into some of the nuts and bolts of the, you know, the beginner stuff or just <laughs> fly fishing in general, Maybe yep. talk a little about Orvis. I'm just curious again, how, you know, obviously this podcasting is, is kind of starting to boom. Uh, Orvis was way ahead of the game in the fly fish. I mean, do you feel like Orvis is ahead of the game on a lot of these things? Is that how it's felt for you for over the years? Well, I certainly feel like we're ahead of the game in, in social media and, and podcasting. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've just, we, we've, it, it was a, it was, it was a tough struggle. <laughs> in the beginning, trying to convince people that that video might be important and mm. that social media might be important, yep. but it's very robust now. We have a a, a whole department dedicated to it. Um, yeah. I sit in a pod with three other people, and all of us are really concentrating on uh, social media and PR and, and gotcha. other things. I mean, I do marketing as well, but uh, yeah, we we spend a lot of time and effort. We spend a lot of time and effort in the teaching part of it uh-huh yep and and what do you spend your time you know uh, kind of during the a day a typical day what, what uh, i mean you're a little bit of the podcast but what else are you doing uh shuffling papers looking at spreadsheets yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i i i i currently i spend uh most of my time in marketing new product marketing and fly fishing marketing the product marketing but that's going to change i'm going to be doing more uh, outreach and podcast stuff, and we're doing a new season of the TV show. So I'm kind of, kind of working into more of a uh, ambassador position and and doing more public facing stuff, as opposed to the as opposed to the marketing. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, that's cool. And you, um, yeah, you mentioned already a great the TV show, the Amazon Prime. I'll definitely link out to that. But um, yeah, if you just think, you know, you got somebody new coming into it. I mean, obviously, you guys have a ton of resources, but you know, just thinking about yourself, if somebody's new to fly fishing, what's the, um, you know, what, what's the, what, what do you tell somebody that's new to it? What, what's the, what's the first steps when you know getting them going, or as far as some maybe some resources or a, a way to kind of, you know, you, th- you talk about your history, how you struggled, but you know, how, how would it happen today for somebody brand new? Uh, the first thing you do is has nothing to do with what you do today. It's the same as same as it's always been. Don't overthink it. It's just fishing. Yeah. First of all, don't don't think that you have to have a million flies. You don't even need waders. You don't need to spend a lot of money. Uh, just get a fly rod, get a box of flies and a leader, and go out and do it. Yep. Um, that's that's the most important thing. Practice your casting. Um, you know, if you can't go on YouTube, 
watch videos on fly casting. Watch them on the Orvis Learning Center. Watch them on the Orvis TV show. Watch them on YouTube, wherever, mm-hmm. and learn and take a take a lesson. If you know, if there's a fly shop that gives free lessons, um, Orvis Orvis stores give free clinics uh, called Fly Fishing 101 in the spring mm-hmm. uh, for two hours. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of fly shops have will give you free casting lessons. Get your casting to the point where you're comfortable throwing something 40 feet away with moderate accuracy. Mm-hmm. That's so important. Yep. Um, what, what is uh, moderate accuracy is within a, a couple feet of the spot you're shooting for? Yeah, within a couple feet. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So, so casting's number one. So, and you guys, I, I've actually heard stories. I think I've had a couple of guests that have mentioned one is a guide. And he mentioned that he went through your 101 program. And I think you guys give away, a, you know, you don't give away, but they can pick up a rod at a discounted, uh, you know, rate as well, right? You, the, the, yep. I mean, you guys yep. have beginner. I mean, you guys have everything from the beginner all the way up, but you can get a pretty decent uh, outfit just kind of getting set up with you guys if you do the class. You can get, yeah, I mean, you can get a complete outfit for 159 bucks, rod, reel, line, and, and I it. think that they get they can get a discount on that. So that's it. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so that's the first thing. So you got casting. So that's that's number one. You're kind of getting in there. So now yeah. let's take it to the river a little bit and think generally. You know, we're going for trout. I guess we could think about maybe one of your home rivers over there. Uh, and what is yep. your home river? What would you say is the river you fish most often? Uh, the river I fish most often is in my backyard. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. And I'm not going to mention yeah. the name. Yeah, you don't have to mention the name. So let's just it's think. It's a pretty, it's a, it's a pretty small stream. Let's, um, let's take a one. I guess the yeah, the bat and kill. Okay, the bat and kill. And if I have a day or more, uh, the Delaware. I love the Delaware very much. Okay. Um, but the bat and kill is is our local, so our local river. So somebody's heading out to the bat and kill for the first time, and I haven't yep. been there. I haven't been there. But what are you telling them? So they got their casting down. They can make that 40-foot cast, but they're, yeah. they don't know much else. What What's the next step? You park your ass on the bank, and you sit there, and you look at the water, and you look for insects. You look for fish feeding, rising, if if that, you know, the rare the rare case on the bed. Oh, really? Or, or you look at the water and try to imagine where a fish is going to be they like they like current that's flowing at about one foot per second you know it's a kind of a moderate walk Mm -hmm. you look for places where they can get away from the current but still pretty close to the main flow and you figure out a plan you don't just walk into the water you you sit there for a while and enjoy it you know Mm -hmm. sit back relax take a deep breath uh Mm Go into prayer mode or whatever. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. What is that called when you put your hands together? Uh, meditation. Pray- yeah, prayer mode though, right? Prayer mode. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't prayer know pose. Anyway. Okay. Um, um, not that they should pray. I'm not recommending they pray that they catch a fish. But, <laughs> um, you know, just sit there, relax for a minute and look at, take it all in and look at it. Um, the other thing is don't go where there's somebody else fishing. Yeah. You know? Yep. You want a place to yourself. Right. Um, and you don't want to bother anybody else. Um, although, and if then, they, although you know, if they are fishing on a, uh, uh, you know, a, a good spot, you might want to make note in that if they've caught a few make fish. Make note of it. Come yeah. back later, yeah. Yeah, or make note of where the drift boats stop and throw anchor. Right. <laughs> and, right. Then, and then come back later. There you go. Um, and then, you know, and then just get in the water and have fun with it. 
uh, throw your fly. Don't there is there is no wrong in fly fishing if you don't drown or hook yourself in the eye. Um, so you know, just do some stuff. Get yeah. the fly out there. Let it swim around. Let it swing in the current or throw it upstream. Play around with it. See what happens. Yep. Yep. And and you mentioned leaders a little bit. Are are we talking here? What's the easiest for somebody new to it? Give them a start with some nymphs, or what? What do you recommend as far as nymphs versus dries or anything else? I don't know. I think that I generally recommend somebody start with a small to medium sized woolly bugger. Okay. Because you you know you you can fish it dead drift. If you if it happens to drag, the fish will eat it. If you strip it in, the fish will eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they'll eat it on almost any kind of swing, retrieve, or drift. Um, so I like to start somebody off with a woolly bugger. Actually, I like to start somebody off with a bluegill pond and not a trout stream, All right. if they can. But yep. um, you know, just throw a woolly bugger out there and and throw it throw it upstream, then throw it across stream, then throw it downstream and strip it or mm-hmm. let it drift or let it swing just play around with it and see how see how the water moves it around and um i mean nymphs with indicators is a relatively easy way to fish but the problem is that the rigging you know the rigging is yeah. a little a little geeky and yep. um difficult and, in the euro nymphing cast- yeah yeah and casting is tough with a nymph rig so i just recommend somebody put on a woolly bugger without any indicators or shot or anything like that and just floating line yep nine foot leader just throw it around yeah what about um what about wet flies like just like a little old traditional you know i had had yeah. davy, davy watton on a while he he went into he nerded out about the wet fly fishing which is another level but um do you, do you use the wet fly as much you know i don't but it's a good way to get somebody started i can think of um my daughter, when I took her fishing when she was young, I just put on a, I didn't put on a wet fly, but I put on an unweighted zug bug and yeah. just had her swing, swing in the current. Yeah, that's another good way because you can almost do nothing wrong. Right. Yeah. Just with swing. an, un, you know, unweighted or lightly weighted nymph, no indicator to start. Just throw it out there. And, yeah. And maybe a fish will jump on it. Get going. Uh, what do you think is, you know, you've answered in your, uh, your segment is, uh, what is your segment called where you do your question and answers? The fly box. Yeah, the fly box. Exactly. That's a great little segment. What is, I mean, you've probably had hundreds and hundreds of questions. What's the most common couple of questions you get? Do you, do you remember? Or what do you think? Well, one of them is, I went out and I did this and that, and I didn't catch any fish. What am I doing wrong? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. a big one. Uh, how do I rig my, how do I rig my indicator rig? That's a, always a big one. And yep. of course, it's, there's lots of ways you can do it. Um, oh, and striking people worries, people worry so much that they're striking too slow, too fast. Oh, um, just setting on setting it, the hook. And it, yeah. And I just tell them most of the time the, either the fish missed the fly or refused it, or it just came unbuttoned. Yeah. You know? yeah. We all lose fish. That's right. And, uh, and sometimes it's weird. You'll lose four or five in a row and you'll think I'm doing something wrong, but it's usually the way the fish are taking the fly. Not, you know, it's the fish just aren't that aggressive or something, but, mm-hmm. you know, people, people really wig out on the fact that they can't land every fish they hook. Well, not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. No, those are good, good little tips here. I, as you're talking, I was just kind of looking through my notes a little bit and thinking, you know, I've got a bunch of things on here. I think um, I'm going to try to get to as many of them as possible, but, um, you know, getting back to the Orvis thing, do you have, I mean, 
Orifice has been around a long time. Um, do you know a little bit of that history? Could you talk a little bit about the Orvis history? There? Sure. Yeah, I do. I do know a bit about it. So um, in 1856, Charles Orvis was associated with the Equinox Hotel, which was a big old grand hotel. It's still here in Manchester. And I think his brother owned it, or the family owned it. And he started making fishing rods. And um, he started sending a catalog or a list of rods to people in New York City. It was mostly, you know, tourists from, or summer people from New York City. He started sending them lists of uh, fly rods for sale. Hmm. And it's actually the oldest surviving mailer catalog oh, wow. in in the country. Um, he was the first to use, you know, not the first to use mail to sell stuff, but the the, the, the oldest surviving one. Yeah. And um, from there, he started a tackle shop and a rod shop. And um, in the 1880s, he invented what is essentially the modern ventilated fly reel, upright huh. ventilated fly reel. Uh-huh. Uh, his daughter was a great fly tire, and she she wrote she wrote a book on flies. She kind of was kind of the first person to codify American fly patterns um, mm-hmm. back before her. We were either using English patterns or we were just using like local stuff that somebody would would tie up with local materials and didn't have a name. Mm-hmm. So she put them kind of in a you know a fly recipe book called um, Favorite Flies in Their Histories. Still in print. Oh wow, um, it's a pretty cool book. And then um, you know they just kept they just kept selling more stuff. Waiting brogues, which were you know waiting boots and waiters and fly lines and leaders and flies and um, that went on till really till the depression and during the depression, the, uh, of course, nobody was fishing. Nobody had gas to go anywhere. Um, and then, um, world war two, all the men were off the war. It was, you know, mostly men fishing then. And the, the company was basically doing things like repairing bicycles and making, oh. um, making bamboo ski poles for the 10th mountain division. <laughs> um, that's where they first developed the impregnation process for bamboo, making ski uh, poles wow. for the 10th mountain division. And then, um, in 1939, um, a guy named DC Corcoran bought the company from the Orvis family. And he, uh, you know, he built it up, he built up the rod factory and, and got it really got it going. And he owned it until 65, at which time the Perkins family bought the company. Oh. Lee Perkins bought the company. And he was a pioneer in, in mail-order list exchange. Um, he was one of the pioneers of, you know, you have a catalog. We have a catalog. Why don't we, why don't we trade names? Oh. Um, you can thank him for all your junk mail. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, he really, you know, he really made it what it is today. He, he's a great merchant, and he's a great fly fisherman and bird hunter. He's still alive. He's still, he's, uh, I think he's 90, 90, 91. <laughs> he still hunts and fishes almost every day. Wow. Um, but he's retired, and um, it's still owned by the Perkins family. His two sons ran it from the 90s to just recently, Dave and Perk, and then they've they've kind of, uh, taken off to uh, 
basically fish and hunt and work with conservation organizations. Mm-hmm. And so there's a now a third generation of Perkinses here, uh, Charlie and Simon. Um, Perk's two sons are now are now here. So, it's the Orvis Company since 1856 has only really had three owners, but it's it's privately held, very privately held, which yeah. which is pretty cool because it allows you to do what you want. Um, we don't have to answer to shareholders. Or, um, we don't have to answer. We don't have to worry about stock prices or or any of those other things. Mm-hmm. And um, most of the um, most of the profit of the company goes gets put back into the company for mm-hmm. growth mm-hmm. and into conservation. Um, and you know, if if we want to take a stand on a conservation issue that might piss someone off, we just do it because yeah. we don't have to. An- we if you know, as long as the owners are comfortable with it, we just do it because mm-hmm. we don't have to answer to anybody. Um, so it's pretty cool as opposed to being owned by an investment banker or some big corporation or something. You know, it's so funny. People think people think of Orvis as being the big corporate they behemoth do. when actually it's it's family owned and privately held and, and it is not a big corporate That's behemoth. hilarious. That, you're totally right. In fact, I've thought that in the past too, just uh, yeah. not knowing the history. So I'm glad you shared that. That's uh I think probably going to be a, a surprise to some people, you know. It, yeah, yeah, it is. Orvis has been around. They've been around. They were. They've been around longer than anybody else, right? Yeah, most of the, you know, most of, a lot of the other little companies in fly fishing are, are owned by investment bankers or or groups or venture capitalists or whatever the hell you call those yeah. people. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, it's, that's a that's a great story. So, what do you think? I mean, you obviously mentioned a couple of things that separates Orvis. You know, makes you guys unique. What? What do you think? And the hunting thing is something I actually don't even think as much about either. But yeah, you have a whole hunting section, and that, that's really cool. What, what is, um, you know, what separates Orvis? What do you think? What, what is the thing that? Uh, what are you guys best at? Uh, making rods. I mean, we yeah. make we make and design our own rods, except for um, a couple of the uh, price point rods, lower end. We make them all here in Vermont, and uh, yeah. we spend a lot of R and D in designing, testing materials and tapers and construction methods. Um, that's our that's our um, that's our number one. Yeah, that's it. That's our number one thing. Okay. Um, and then reels, you know, we we um, we're partnered with a machine shop here in Vermont, and we're designing all our own reels. Uh, some of them are still made in China because of, again, because of price point issue. Sure. Um, but we're bringing more and more of them back into the States and we've got this, this incredibly beautiful machine shop, giant machine shop that recently, um, uh, bought a building just to make Orvis reels hmm. right, right here in Vermont. So, cool. um, you know, it's an hour away. We can, we got an issue with a reel or we're working on design. We can just hop in the car and, and go over there. Yeah. So. That's, That's awesome. pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I still have uh, probably my nicest back when I was a kid. I picked up an Orvis bat and killed a little trout reel. You know, nice light uh-huh. one. I, man, still have that little thing. You know, it's been a been a solid little uh, custom. I can't remember if that was like a bar stock or whatever, but um, yeah, you guys definitely have. You know, and you mentioned the rod. That, that's another point of conversation that comes up a lot because people talk about now how you almost can't buy a bad rod. I mean, do, do you think? I mean. When you look at the differences between the low end and the high end rods, what is the difference? There is still some difference. Um, 
there, there's some technology, um, particularly with us that, that we have won't share with mm -hmm. overseas vendors. And there's some materials and some technology, um, that we're not prepared to, you know, let go to China or Korea. Yep. Um, so they make, they make some real, they make some decent rods and, um, of course they, they cost less so that, you know, somebody, somebody can get a decent rod for 150, 200 bucks. Um, we'd love to make them here in this country. We've, we've tried to figure it out and maybe we'll figure it out someday. Mm -hmm. We'd like to make them all here, but, um, we just, we haven't, been, we haven't been able to do it with, you know, with it's skilled labor and you just, you know, it, it costs a lot of money in the States to have a skilled rod maker making yeah. a rod. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, thinking more, you've mentioned, you talked about the history there of Orvis, um, and you've been doing this kind of with Orvis a long time. Have you had any, I mean, I, I asked the mentor question a number, you know, occasionally in this, because I'm trying to kind of connect the dots and some people have mentors and some people kind of did it all on their own. What, what's your, what's your background? Do you have any people that influenced you? Oh God, I've had a ton of people that influenced me. Um, you know, Lee Perkins, I reported to him, um, Lee Perkins Sr. initially and and Perk Perkins and Dave Perkins um, and learned big, so much. And were they big-time fly, fly fishermen? Was oh, they, yeah, the, yeah. The whole family are sick of I put them up. I put any of that family up against any fly fisherman or <laughs> fly fisher in the world. Yeah. They're really good. Okay. They're really good. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I think, uh, well, when I was starting to write, because I didn't have any training in writing when I was starting to write, um, fly rod and reel magazine and fly fishermen were based here in Manchester. So I would, I would go over, I would go over to their offices and drive them crazy. You know, it's wet <laughs> behind the ear kids who didn't know, kid didn't know how to write and people like John Merwin and Silvio Calabi and, and, um, Carl Navre and Craig Woods, uh, Robert F. Jones, Tony Atwell. I mean, we had a lot of writers mm -hmm. and magazines here at that time. So I had a lot of, you know, a lot of help. Um, a lot of mentors there. Yeah. Yeah. So there's been yeah pl plenty of people along the way. And you mentioned a little bit about the writing. You've, you've written a few, uh, books, uh, that are out there. Do you have, uh, you want to mention the one or two that you're kind of most proud of? Um, I think, well, prospecting for trout is one of my favorites about, you know, fishing when there's no hatch. Hmm. Um, the Wervis guide to small streams is, is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. The Orvis Fly Fishing Guide, the basic book, is the one that sells the most. That that's um, the one I've heard about. Yeah, I've had guests that have yeah. rec recommended that book on, yeah. on the show. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but you know, I've I think I've written like I don't know, over twenty, but I oh wow, I never I've never really counted them. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're up there. That's right. If you're, you're in the twenty <laughs> range, damn. Okay. <laughs> Um, so on the prospecting for trout, if you take it back to that, to the bat and kill, um, in your fish in that, that river, what's, um, and there isn't a hatch. I mean, what, what's the synopsis of, of your book? How can, how could somebody maybe use that book or, or the, you know, the theme to catch a fish? Well, I teach them how to, I teach them how to read the water and, and what trout need. You know, if you understand what trout need to be, to, to feed and be comfortable, um, you've gone a long way towards figuring things out. So it starts with, it starts with trout behavior. I, I go a lot into the geology of the bed of the river that can determine not only where the trout are going to live, but 
how often they're going to feed, um, what kind of bugs are going to be on the bottom, what shape and size the critters are going to be that they're going to be eating, um, and then go into various techniques, you know, how to blind fish a dry fly and how to fish a nymph with indicator and, mm-hmm. you know, just fish a streamer, those things that, that we have to do most of the time when yeah. we go to a river. That's right. So. That's right. And, and reading water is definitely a struggle, a question that comes up a lot with people. What, it is. What, what, it is. Any uh, quick tips on, you know, kind of uh, finding fish or reading water? Um, you, you need to study, need to study what a trout needs and how it lives. One of the, one of the most educational things is you can't always see a trout visibly feeding, but under, in certain rivers, under certain conditions, if you sneak up on them, you know, you get, you can, you can watch them. Mm-hmm. And I always recommend if you find a trout feeding, that's not disturbed, that you can watch, put your rod down and spend an hour watching that fish mm-hmm. watch the kind of current it's lying in watch how it feeds watch how far it moves for a fly you know all those things just spend an hour watching it yeah you can learn you can learn so much that's that's a cool tip yeah that's something like you mentioned there you, you know sit back and and observe is obviously important that's a that's a big part of uh you know, not just going out there and jumping in and splashing in, but uh, taking it all in. So, um, a good reminder. Yeah, you know, the the best anglers are the most observant and the most curious. Yep. Those are the people that are going to be the best anglers. Yep, that's for sure. Um, so, you know, I, I thinking back, you mentioned we talked about how your podcast isn't about stories. You know, you talk more about the. Uh, the, the tips and tricks and stuff and um, which is which is amazing I occasionally get into some of the stories here I love to hear you know one of them just thinking about your background you know you got into fly fishing as a full-time income do you remember when you know was there a turning point when you look back in your life when you were like okay I'm all in and can you take us to that moment when when that happened when you knew you were kind of it was your thing <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think it was too far back to remember. Oh, Roy, Roy, you knew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, That's cool. there was a, there were lots of points in my life where I realized, well, shit, I don't know anything else that well. I better just <laughs> stick with this. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, it, I mean, obviously you've got the, the passion. I mean, now that you've done it for 40 plus years or whatever, is your passion, you know, still as, as strong as it was when you were first got going? It hasn't lessened one iota. Yep. I will still stand on a dock and fish for bluegills all day long. Yeah. No, it hasn't. I, I still, I still jones to go fishing all the time. Can't sleep the night before I go fishing and try to fish as much as possible. Yeah. What? Um, yeah, it's, it's not lessened a bit. What, can you tell me a little more about that, you know, as far as um... – you know, I mean, that's like, you, you know, you haven't lost it, right? You got, you still got that passion. What, um, what do you think is the, the, like the secret? Why are you, you know, different from some people that maybe don't stick with it? Cause I know there are lots of people out there that have been in the industry for a long time and eventually they slowly creep out of it. Um, do you think that's just the person or is it uh, unique to, to you? Um, Todd Tanner once called me a predator hmm. and I think. Because I love stalking fish. 
Yeah, I think it's one of the reasons that I prefer not to fish from a boat uh-huh. um, if I can help it. I really like I really like stalking whether it's bonefish or striped bass on the flats or trout. Um, I really like the stalking aspect of it. Yeah. Maybe I am a maybe I am a predator. I don't know, <laughs> but it's you know it's it's so interesting, Dave. You every time you go out, you learn something. Yeah. It's never I live the stream in my backyard, <laughs> and I can't tell you when I walk out the back door. I can't tell you what's going to be going on on that stream. No, um, and I learn something every time I walk out the back door. So you know, it's it's a constant learning. I mean, right now. Right now, I feel like I'm more of a beginner than I was 20 years ago because um, I'm just starting to to learn how to uh, Euro nymph. Right. And, uh, you know, we've got a couple of uh, younger guys here on the staff that are really good at it that I've been learning stuff from. And I'm I'm still not a very good spay caster, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm still I'm still learning that, and I yep. you know I take lessons from the guys <laughs> here on on the pond on my lunch hour, but you know I feel like, geez, I'm just getting started. That's it. <laughs> I mean, there's so much cool new stuff, and I'm a fly tire. Oh yeah. Um, I've always tied all my own flies. I don't I don't have a fly in my box that I haven't tied, huh. and and so there you know fly tying is always something. You know, yeah, God. for sure. So, every time whole... you, every time you turn on YouTube, there's something cool. I, that's I, that's, new, what, so. that's what Kelly uh, Kelly Gallup said. He said uh, fly tie has become as as it never really has. It's cool. It's like cool to, to tie flies now. It's kind of funny, you know. Yeah, I don't think you can be a complete fly fisher unless you tie your own flies. I I just don't. I don't. Yep. And maybe that's maybe those are the people that give it up. They don't. They yeah. don't understand it. But right. Um, right. Yeah, I'm really. I don't think you've really arrived until you tie your own flies. Yeah, no, I hear you. No, that's a. Uh, had a couple of thoughts there. I kind of lost lost track of them as you were talking, but you know, I think you make a good point there. It's just that it's the, the learning. You know, that's that's the amazing thing is that we all know that whether you're at the top of your game and you're, you we're always going to be learning in this. And that's, I mean, it, you know, again, life in general. If you stop learning, that's kind of the end of it, right? Yeah, and I've never gotten to the top of my game. I don't think I ever will. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And well, and you talk. I've talked a lot about steelhead. The first thirty episodes were mostly steelhead on on this show, and and yeah, the casting that's a struggle for people. All the lines and in Orvis, I don't think. Um, have you guys got into the spay game? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had we've had spay rods and switch rods for years. We're working on a new series now, and uh, yeah, we've we've we haven't been into it as seriously as as some other manufacturers, but. Yeah. We we're kind of late to the game, but yeah, we've got a we've got full complement of that's cool of uh, of Spain switch rods now. Yeah. I guess we're just calling them two handed now. We're not two-handed. making yep. the distinguish. We're not distinguishing between spay and switch. It's just sure. two handed. Sure, sure, okay. And uh, and do you use any of the? Uh, have you ever used the switch type of rods, those shorter ones for trout or any of that stuff? Yeah, we've been playing around with the uh, past few months. We've been playing around in a local river that's open all year long with trout spay, you know, just swinging, swinging. I mean, we know we could catch them on tight line nipping, but we've been swinging, swinging streamers. Mm-hmm. So it's like pretend steelhead fishing. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, if you don't have steelhead in your backyard. And, and you guys, well, you have, uh, you get out for some Atlantic salmon, right? Yeah, I've I've chased them a little bit. Yeah, yeah. What's the and you've chased a little bit of steelhead. What what is the biggest difference between uh, Atlantic salmon and steelhead? Fishing? Oh God, well Atlantic salmon fishing is 
a lot more expensive hmm. uh, because you have to go. You, oh, you yeah. really have to. You really have to be on the right river at the right time, right. and that costs money. Um, and the cool thing about Atlantic salmon is that they will come up for a fly, a swung fly, just under the surface. You don't. You almost never have to worry about screwing around with sinking lines and. Oh and, wow. And, yeah, so it's more stuff. like a summer, like it's, a summer steelhead. It's exactly like your summer steelhead fishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just as frustrating as steelhead. You know, there can be a hundred fish in a pool, and none of them are going to look at your fly. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't, I haven't done a ton of it mainly because it's it's so damn unproductive. It's just, it's just really a crapshoot. Yeah. Um, hmm. And yeah, I like to catch fish. Yeah. I'd rather go if I'm going to go after something big. I'd much rather go saltwater fishing where. Where at least the fish, um, if you can find them, do stuff that's predictable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, I think that's the. There's so much out there. Yeah, the saltwater game and um, bone fishing, and I've had a few guests I'm going to have on here. We're going to dig into all that, but um, well, I guess if we're sticking, um, you know, still on the trout questions, we we got a little bit of time here. I was kind of, you know, again thinking of that person. You know, we talked a little bit about getting somebody started, but. Um, you think mm-hmm. so? So the woolly bugger is a, a good fly, you know, as far as a couple of good flies to start. Is there any other flies you would recommend for somebody? Just the general all around. I mean, we, I guess we could talk about the bat and kill what you might use there. Well, I, you know, I would, I would urge people not to worry about the fly. I would worry. I would just tell them to put something on <clears throat> that's that's kind of wiggly that that that'll flow in the current. Mm-hmm. So that I mean, it doesn't have to be a woolly bugger. It could be a little marabou muddler. Or an unweighted nymph, but just something, you know, it's funny. Um, I've never found like weighted flies to work really well on the swing. Weighted nymphs, yeah. beadhead nymphs, they just don't work as well. Um, so, uh, you know, a soft tackle, mm-hmm. uh, a soft tackle fly, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend specific patterns because it just, yeah. It makes people think it's too complicated, yeah, and exactly. it's not. But what it's about not. what about yours? If you had to pick, you know, just for yourself, maybe the two flies you fish most often, could you do that? <clears throat> or if you had to pick two, maybe just pick two flies. Uh, that's all you get until the end of time here. Oh, uh, for trout. Yeah, for trout. I'd probably, I'd be limit, I'd be limiting myself. I'd probably pick a pheasant tail nymph and uh, and a, a sparkle done. A sparkle dye, yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Yeah, for dry. For dries, yeah. Yeah, and if I didn't put, a, if I didn't have a woolly bugger in there, I'd be missing some opportunities. But, um, you know, as I said, I like to stock fish, and you know, a pheasant tail for a, a visible fish feeding subsurface or a sparkle dun, those are both okay. awesome patterns. And when you're fishing your nymph setup, um, can you run down how you set it up? I guess you've talked a little bit about neuro nymphing, but do you a lot of times run two flies or multiple flies? Maybe you can just run through your terminal tackle setup. It's, I don't, I don't have a standard. I wait until I get to the river. Oh yeah. Um, I could be fishing everything from, uh, just a lightly weighted fly and a long leader with nothing else to an indicator to an indicator and two flies and a couple split shot to Euro nymphing mm-hmm. to dry, dry dropper is, is oh, yeah. often a favorite because, you know, dry fly, a dry fly as an indicator doesn't spook the fish as much. Right. And you, you can always often get a rise on the dry fly. So dry dropper is great. Yeah. I, I think 
barring anything else, if the stream was at normal level, I'd probably put on a dry dropper. Yeah. Um, that that's a that's a great way to just search the water. Right, right. Yeah, that is a good but one. I don't. I really don't. I really don't have one. I mean, you got to be flexible when you fish nymphs. You got to you got to just match the water type. So. Yep. Yep. No, that's a it. Good. Really, it really depends. That's an awesome tip for sure. So, uh, you know, getting back before we let you go on the podcast again, can you talk about you know with um, the Orvis podcast? Do you do anything you know? special when you prepare can you talk about how you prepare for your episodes or do you just jump in there and go for it (laughs) (laughs) i just got jump in there and go for it um i usually tell my guests to have just a rough outline to make sure they don't miss anything that they wanted to say Mm -hmm. and then i might have three or four questions that i that i want to make sure that i ask them but that's it i know they're not scripted and people, as you know, I mean, you mm-hmm. sure you found this out. People love the whole just two fishermen bullshitting yeah. about techniques or or places or whatever. They they really like the conversational nature. Yeah. And you know, over the years, I've I've gotten pretty good at asking asking the right questions mm-hmm. uh, and making people comfortable just because yep. I've done it done it so much. But yeah, we it, it, I don't I don't spend a ton of time uh, preparing for them. Yeah. Yeah, no, I do. I do actually. The you know the fly box part where I, where I answer the questions. Those I have to spend a fair amount of time preparing for, reading through, and picking the ones I want to do. And then sometimes I have to do a little research on on the answer. I might have to talk to one of the product developers or oh, a right. guide on a you know on a question I can't answer. Yeah. Um, but um, you know the the main interviews themselves usually are are pretty much free form. Form. Okay. And have yeah. you ever had, you know, with all the guests and how many episodes are you guys at now? I have no idea. Yeah. You're, you're, you're in hundreds and hundreds, I think somewhere in there. Probably in the hundreds. Yeah. In the hundreds. And, uh, have you ever had a guest where maybe you thought the show wasn't, um, you know, I don't know if the guest was a little boring or the show wasn't quite up to snuff where you didn't, um, publish it or is that something you ever had to issue with? I've never not published one, but I've had a couple that when I got done, I thought, oh, that was boring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I shouldn't, I shouldn't, um, I also, the, some of those shows that I thought were pretty boring, I've gotten some really nice letters about saying, oh, I love the show. I learned a lot. So yeah, I, 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 I need to learn, I need to learn not to, um, put my own biases into, my judgment of the show right right yeah there's always going to be somebody that's going to learn especially with the tips and tips and tricks and yeah. stuff. so yeah but i don't think i've ever bagged one yeah totally yeah. okay um i remember once i did a i did a show with phil roley early on on stillwater yeah. and i forgot to press the record button oh luckily phil is such an easy go guy I said phil guess what oh. after an hour phil we got to do that whole thing over again he said That's, okay let's <laughs> there you go yeah phil yeah phil's easy going i you know yeah, what i did yeah. the same thing early on it, it's always early on but uh, simon <laughs> simon gosworth uh and it was tough because at the time he, he was like the ultimate guest and, yeah and i totally bombed it the, the audio i screwed up on something and i yeah i had to come back and he was the same way man he was like yep let's do it again but i think he's, oh, yeah, i he's think he, i think he said well you'll get one more this is a you know. yeah yeah but uh <laughs> okay um so what do you so you guys you know orvis 
you guys have so much, so many resources. You kind of have it all covered. What do you think, you know, some, a non Orvis resource? I'm not sure how much you read other or videos or other um, resources out there. Do you have any recommendations if somebody, you know, something that's not your own stuff for Orvises? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, um, I think that mid current and gink and gasoline, fiberglass manifesto, mm-hmm. hatch magazine, those blogs are, um, really really cool and um i use them all the time for what's going on yep um you know i i read a lot of the print magazines fly fish journal drake trout fly fisherman Uh, there's just so much out there now yeah um trying to think of what else well youtube you know if you're looking for a specific fly pattern or how to tie a specific knot just go into the google machine and you'll find it yep um yeah, I'm trying to think of what uh, what other you, resources that I use. Do you think there's um, it, like it seems like every fly is on YouTube. Uh, have you ever had an issue finding a pattern? No, yeah, I, I know it's crazy. <coughs> Excuse me. No, yeah. I've I've always been able to track down. It may be not a video on how to tie it, but I've always been able to track down the pattern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Okay, and um. So looking out into the future, you know, if you look out, say, 50, 100 years and you, you know, you're kind of looking back at, you know, something maybe you'd want to be remembered for, um, you know, is there something that comes to mind as far as what you've done or, you know, you've done a lot of, you know, you've taught a lot of people, you've done a lot of things, but, you know, do you see yourself kind of with Orvis on the same page there and what you guys kind of your goals and what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'd want to remember just being a teacher yeah yep someone who's never forgot what it's like to be a beginner yeah what what was it like to be a beginner you you remember that oh it was horrible i was a really impatient kid yeah it was frustrating as hell was it a a while before you got into some good quality fish action yeah oh yeah forever like i mean i couldn't cast i would I remember my mother used to, my mother still talks about me being down the basement trying to tie flies and just throwing stuff around and being frustrated. Yeah. Was it, was not a patient kid at all. So it was hard. Yep. Yep. No, compared I, to the, you know, compared to the resources we have now, it was hard. Yeah. Well, and people now can go, you go to Orvis or, I mean, probably the next best, best thing would be, or, you know, getting a guide or if they can afford that and yeah. get some lessons, yeah. that's all. And there's the, federation of fly fit you know you have that whole resource um i mean who there's some big uh there's a lot of good resources for for teaching what do you think if somebody wanted to get that casting lesson that is the the shop's probably the easiest place right i think the local fly shop because people people should really um you know support their local fly shops so uh, if you walk into a fly shop and you ask for a casting lesson and they they refuse you Find another fly yeah, shop. That's a good point. You know? Yep. That if a fly shop doesn't it doesn't have the time to give you a casting lesson as a prospective customer, right. then they're going to be out of business anyways. Yep. They don't deserve to be in business. So yeah, find some find somebody else for sure. That's, that's definitely a good point. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I got a little rapid fire round. You ready to jump into this? Yeah, yeah, I guess. What's rapid fire? <laughs> now these are just some uh, random questions that were. It's kind of uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, some are random, some are not, but uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how we, we get through here. But um, <laughs> okay. Uh, I was thinking about you were talking about tying it. What's your? Uh, I'm getting into potentially maybe doing a little bit of a season on fly tying, and I'm not sure. Uh-huh. You know, if yeah. it's going to be. I've heard had some people give feedback saying, "No, do not do a fly tying <laughs> season." Um, but I'm thinking more like the same thing I've been doing, where I'm getting a lot of background on my guests and hearing that story, and then but then digging into some fly tying tips and you know, some stuff there on specifics, but, um, you know, as far as a vice, um, Orvis, you, you guys aren't, you haven't got into the flight tying stuff, right? Oh yeah. We've sold flight tying stuff forever. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you still have flight. Gosh, I guess I missed that too. So yeah. you have, uh, vi- <laughs> man, you have a vice. So you have vices and what's your, do you have a, um, a type of vice that you like to use? Yeah. Um, Regal and Renzetti are, are my two favorites and yeah. I go back and forth. I have, I have, Usually have my regal at my desk where I tie my lunch hour and the Renzetti at home. Yep. And what's so the difference between are... the regal and Renzetti? They're they. I don't know. They're both great. They're both great vices. The Renzetti uh, is a little bit beefier. Yeah. Um, but the Renzetti holds big hooks too. I mean, they're both they're both just they're such both great good. vices. Yeah, they're better than uh, well. Think about the the beginner. You know, the old uh, like top Thompson A, right? The the, the yeah that's still yeah. around. And I guess for a beginner, that's still a good vice to get started with. Yeah, Thompson's been out of business for a long time, but they're Indian knockoffs of Thompson vices. Oh, Unfortunately, yeah. you know, if you people won't spend more than a, you know, 150, 200 bucks on a fly tying kit, so what they get is going to be a not a great vice. Yep, um, and that's unfortunate. We just, you know, there just isn't a good inexpensive vice, but um, no. if no. they're going to stick with it, they they upgrade pretty quickly if they're smart. Okay, and what about uh, uh you know? playing on words here, a vice of your own. Do you have anything that, I mean, I think of myself of like, you know, coffee, beer, certain things that I maybe do in excess a little bit. Do you have anything that a vice that you still hold on to that, uh, you know, you don't want to lots of them. Do you? Lots of them. Coffee. Yep. Red wine. Uh huh. Eating too much. Right. Ice cream. Um, I make my own chocolate bean to bar. So chocolate is obviously a biggie. Yeah. You make your own, you mean you actually have your own brand? No, I don't. I don't sell it. I give it away. But I do have my own brand. Yeah. But oh, that's I, cool. It's just I, you know, I roast raw beans and and grind them and temper it and pour it and wrap it and put a little oh, funky label on them. That's awesome. So could could uh, people get a hold of that? No, no. So this is a, no. This is I a, don't sell it. Gotcha. I don't sell it. Yeah. I just give it to. I just give it away to friends. All right. All right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, Not for sale. <laughs> nice. What is this one? Might be tough for you. Something you know. You've done podcasts for years now. Is there anything you know you want to mention here that nobody knows about you? Oh, something that nobody knows about me. Something you've never let out of the. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a you know an extreme thing. But uh, have you have you shared all your you know on your podcast? Do you get into some of your you know, you're, I mean, you obviously get into your background, but do people know the, the personal history of kind of where you came from and all that stuff? No, nah, I don't think so. Cause I don't think it's that interesting to people. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of something that people don't know about me. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll let you think about that. I'll let you think about that for a little bit. I, uh, all right. I, uh, yeah, I think it is interesting though. You know, the personal thing, because yeah. I mean, maybe some of it's boring, but the cool thing is, is that you've done a lot of stuff and, and kind of understanding your background, I think is interesting because there's probably a lot of stuff in there that somebody might hear and be like, oh, he's just a normal guy, right? Because probably a lot of people hold you up as this master 
fly fisherman. Um, yeah, but, but you're yeah. just a normal guy. But probably. I don't, I don't feel like a master fly fisherman. You don't. Yeah. Oh, I got something that people don't know about. Okay. This is well, it's a little offbeat. When I was in college, I tied flies commercially then too, and I used to leave my vice set up, and I would go off to class, and my fraternity brothers would get stoned <laughs> and sit sit down and tie weird flies on my vice. How's there you that? go. Really? So they were fly, <laughs> they were fly fishermen too? No, they weren't. They no, they knew nothing about it. And they would just do weird stuff. They would just do weird stuff. That's yeah, sweet. That sounds exactly <laughs> like kind of my college experience, my first year. Yeah, yeah. That's well, I was a child of the seventies, you know. So that's right. We did those kind of things. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. That's that's a good one. Um. So, what about? Uh, I'm not sure if you're into music. Um. What, what's I your, am. What's your favorite? Uh, you could either say band or music type of music or. I have really eclectic tastes. I like uh, things like uh, Dawes and uh, a, a, I think Scottish band called Admiral Fallow. Okay. And uh, I like uh, Jay Farrar. And then I also listen to kind of modern classical, um, a lot modern classical music, kind of edgy. Yeah. John, you know, John John Adams or. Um, Oh God! I mean, there's nobody would have heard of a lot of these. People. Yeah, no, it's good. I'm gonna I'm gonna put some links in the show notes for some. Hopefully, I can find a, a video or two or some audio. Yeah, and it's you know I like a lot of like Polish and Scandinavian modern composers. So it's I I do have these really weird tastes. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Cool. All right. And what do you think when you look at fly fishing, you know, over the years, uh, you know, it's obviously changed in, in a lot, but what's the biggest difference you think between kind of the old school versus the new school? What's going on today? Have you seen a lot? That's of, easy. That's it? easy. Yeah. Um, there are more young people, men and women in fly fishing. I mean, it used to be an old white man's uh, club. Yep. And it, it's really cool now because I'm seeing more young people like, you know, 20s or teenagers coming up to me at shows and saying, this is my dad. I taught him how to fly fish. <laughs> and, you know, and everybody worries about everybody worries about um, kids having mentors. You know, oh, their parents don't teach right. them how to fly fish anymore. Well, the kids are mentoring their parents. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's really cool. It's a it's a real switch on the old paradigm, and I see that all the time. Huh. And so, where are those kids picking up? So that their their parents aren't into it, but they just pick it up because it's becoming more mainstream. I think they, you know, I think the river runs through it had something to do with it, and for some of the older ones, and then I think just the the fishing videos, you know, the films have yeah. done a lot. I mean, the kind of the snowboard ski that's right crowd in in the west kind of doing fly fishing during the summer when they couldn't ski and then making films. Mm -hmm. I think that's gone a big way, but there, you know, you see fly fishing clubs on college campuses now and, and it's so cool because they're, they're doing so many cool, interesting things that, you know, the old white guys wouldn't have thought of doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, and a lot, yeah. you know, a lot more women, a lot more women in fly fishing. Um, we got a long way to go before it's 50, 50. Yep. Um, but, um, a lot more women, uh huh, um, and and um, a lot more young people in general of both sexes. No kidding, which yeah. Is, which yeah, that's cool. really cool. I guess it's really I, exciting. 
I guess I didn't really realize there were so many of the young people coming up. That that's great to hear. Oh yeah, I mean when I go to when I go to shows, uh, you know, like a consumer show, I mean that most of the people that come up and say love the podcast are young. Yeah. Yeah, well, and part of that too is that you're I think podcasting is probably maybe a little bit more of a younger crowd, at least that no. A little them. bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's so is the podcast uh, as you look at that is it pretty much you're going to keep things going or do you guys have any plans to change or or quit or do anything differently? No, not going to quit. Just going to keep doing what we're doing. It's it's been successful. People love it. Um try to get, you know, as many interesting guests as I can and and just keep um just keep giving people what they want. Yeah. Yep, yep. No, it's a, it's a not awesome so much resource. doing what I want is giving people what they want. I mean, I'd, I like to work on upping the sound quality and, uh-huh. you know, all those little tweaks that you want to do. I know. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, just keep doing it. Cool. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to definitely keep, uh, keep track of you. You got, you know, there's always, it's a great resource. I, you know, occasionally, you know, with the questions, everything, you know, getting the direct feedback from your, the listeners is huge. And, um, it is, yeah. it's, that's been, that's been really key to, yep. to, I think the success of that podcast. I think so. Yeah. Because you're, yep. Those are the people, those are the questions they want to hear. So, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So now in the next, uh, six to 12 months, anything new, anything big coming up for you or Orvis you want to mention? Uh, going on, going to start going on the road to film the new uh, season of the TV show. So, um, Okay. Be doing some be doing some pretty cool stuff. Um it's a lot of work, it's a lot of scripting and um directing and you know, but it's also gets you to some cool places, so I'm really looking forward to it. And is that T V show gonna be a mix of uh, trout and other species or is it what's the focus? Yeah, it'll be it'll be trout, bonefish, bass, redfish, tarpon. I mean it'll probably be fifty percent trout, but um there'll be uh, there'll be episodes on on various other species. Oh, like wow. Yeah, and and will this be um, on? Uh, where where will people be able to find it? It'll be on. Uh, it'll be on YouTube. It'll be on Amazon Prime. It'll be on World Fishing Network. Uh, maybe Netflix. Not uh-huh. sure yet. Yep. Uh, so it'll be, and then we'll cut. We'll cut up. A, we'll cut up the shows to put them on the Orvis Learning Center. Okay. In oh, right, kind right. of bite si- bite sized pieces. Yeah, so. and the learning center is just basically, a, I mean, a huge resource, um, and you can go there and search for if you had a question about fishing the batten kill, for example, or dry flies, that something would pop up a bunch of topics. Yeah, and the other thing is, um, all the podcasts are there, and they're they're keyworded. Um, mm-hmm. You can't you can't search podcasts like on iTunes on keywords. Unless they're in the title, yeah. But um, I actually have somebody that listens to them and and does like twenty or thirty keywords oh, wow. for each podcast. So that's if somebody's sweet. looking for something, that's the best place to find it on one of the podcasts is to go to the Learning Center. There you go. Yeah, that's that's an awesome tip. I'll be using that one for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, um, I guess anything else? I mean, we talked briefly a little bit about the kind of the beginner stuff. I think I think the resources we talked about is as as great as anything that you know. If I can direct somebody to this episode, they can just realize if they haven't already how how much stuff you guys have going over there. So that's a, a good deal. Yeah, I mean, there's just a wealth of there's just a wealth of information out there for people now. But you know, there's no substitute for getting on the water and just you know, even if. If you can't, if you can't, you don't have a trout stream near your house. Just go out to a 
bluegill pond, pond or a bass pond yep. after work or before work or on your lunch hour and just poke around yep. or fish for carp. Um, you know, you you learn stuff that'll that'll help you in in trout fishing and saltwater fishing by yep. doing that. So just get out with a fishing rod in your hand. That's it. That's it. Okay. Um, and if people want to find you, they can just go to, uh, what's the best place? Just Orvis.com or? Uh, if they want to find or if they me. Had, if they had questions or want to maybe send a question into the, the. Podcast at Orvis.com. Okay. Email, email you there. And I think you That's mentioned it. on a recent um, episode of your podcast that you're do, you're going to do a little more on Instagram. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, become an Instagram slut. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm posting every day now. Oh wow! So, nice. Yeah. So, so you got some. It's uh, ro- it's some... under Rosenbauer tea. Okay. Yeah, some I'm, fish uh, porn. Yeah, it's part of well, it's part of my part of my new responsibilities is to be more active on Instagram. I kind of yep. bowed out of social media after the 2016 elections, but oh, I yeah. realized <laughs> realized yeah. that I I need to do it. So yeah, yeah, we're in a we're in a crazy crazy world. That's for sure. Okay. Yeah. All right, Tom. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I got a lot to, you know, thank you for. I just wanted to, you know, all the resources and stuff you provided and the podcast, obviously. Um, just, yeah, hope hope you keep it up and we'll look forward to uh, more good stuff down the line. Well, thank you, Dave. You've asked great questions and it's been, it's been fun. So right. I hope that uh, people get some, get some encouragement to just go out there and do it and have fun. Good. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks. All right. See ya. Bye-bye. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we cover, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 63. That's the number 63. Shout out to our uh, patrons over at Patreon, wetflyswing.com slash Patreon, uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, to go deeper with the show and get some bonus content. Want to read a quick iTunes review from 12345678900 and a bunch of other characters. Uh, they say this is by far the most informative podcast out there. If you are just starting out or just trying to improve your game, give this a listen. Thanks. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero. Um, really amazing stuff. I really appreciate the, uh, the feedback and the review. I, I read everyone. Um, if you want to leave a review, just go to wetflyswing.com slash review. And, uh, I just want to thank you in advance. Thanks again for stopping by to check out the show today. I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon and hope to uh, maybe see you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.